So, um, the past few days we've been together looking at exploring ways to come back to get a sense of something sacred in our lives, something intimate, kind of anonymous in a way, precious, um, beautiful, true, good. I think that people yearn for and uh, have always yearned for some sense of of you know there's something more to do here than just be getting by you know passing the days just keeping the thing going until we die to something more you know so just to always kind of have that that question you know is there something you're missing out something you're not including you know, and it's not just all the details but it's where where do these details land? What is it that knows all this? Where is the, where is that that kind of just that sense of being able to come back? You know, in some ways it's the the nearest journey, the journey that we overlook in all our travelings and wanderings. Seems somehow pointless, maybe. So it was quite a in the retreat, and obviously many of you have been practicing for decades. So a lot of um, practice can be seen as a lot of it is, we might say, just groundwork, tenderizing the ground, cultivating the ground. Really, you know, finding ways to be in our bodies, just how to find a way to, to have a relationship with a body that's not destructive or abusive or ignorant you know, this kind of level how to live in a society and relationships in ways that are not infantile or uh, abusive or you know uh, humiliating you know. so these are all definitely these are all essential aspects of the of practice for people mm-hmm. we all have to Cultivate and it all requires wisdom, discernment, you know, and then that sense of, you know, just finding a way to be with this. It's not going to, none of it's really going to be perfect or the main thing or the thing that's going to provide you with the answers to the, to the search, the quest. It's just something that keeps, that gives things a place to land. It says, okay, you know, this is how I am in the world, this is how I can be in the body, this is how I can be with others. And you just kind of keep that sense of how to make it good and okay and non, non-entangling. Um, and yet it gives you the support of some comfort and well-being. These are really important things. You know, so feel comfortable in yourself. Find a way where you can place the pains and the sorrows that give you still the sense of self-respect and uh, clarity. We will all get difficult, challenging things happen to us. Unfair, (laughs) and so on. (laughs) 
how to find the place where that isn't just suppressed, but is actually, okay, I'm, I'm with that, I can be with that, I can open to that, I can let that, the resentment or the pain or the sorrow, I can let that move. And, uh, and uh, let it go where it needs to go. Let it, let it pass. And there's the essential bit this, this of uh, insight understanding, which you can't always implant, you have to really get it yourself, is these, well, you see, three characteristics, the nature of impermanence, change, inconstancy, Dukkha, the imbalanced or the, the wrong or the troubled or the incomplete, and Anatta, the non-self, which is sort of very cryptic and often unfortunately handled. You know. It's the relativity of our self-forms, how all the self-forms that arise, personality forms, anguish self, joyful self, courageous self, stupid self, you know, all that stuff just kind of comes bubbling up and moves. And you don't want to fix on any of it, really. And that's, that's one of the big um, social and relational problems, is that we tend to, to uh, fix into being a particular person, being somebody for somebody else, or being somebody for our role, or, you know, we, we get fixed into those things. And... Uh, you know, they then become something that starts to, we have to support that self. You know, have to be, and then there's this feeling of the myth of perfection. The myth of perfection, the infallible this, or the wise this, or the always loving, or always on time, or whatever it is. You know, those kinds of things, and you kind of get stuck. <laughs> So, the, you know, there's tension and stress in all that. Always that sense of, you know, who you are has to be somewhat mysterious and, and, flow, and fluid. And it's, it's true. And it will be good. And it's also beautiful. Because you can't, it's not something you can trap and uh, fix, fix. And that gives it its kind of interest, who will, who will be as a life changes, how the happiness and the unhappiness will form us and change us. And it's a good thing to remember with unhappiness. You know, everybody <laughs> has unhappiness. Everybody has tragedies of some kind or another. Everybody gets a bad deal sooner or later. That's what it feels like, you know. Everybody, yeah. and we go through that. You know that bit where oh, I can't stand this. I, my life has fallen apart. I can't, I'm never going to stand this for another moment. Who hasn't been there? <laughs> if you haven't been there yet, well, you know, <laughs> just stop. Watch, watch, just, just get the stopwatch going. <laughs> and then you know they can't stand it, can't bear it. This is impossible. That thing, you know, and you just wait, give yourself time, give it plenty of time, don't hurry, just keep awareness, tr- keep faith with awareness, because that's all you've got, really. And things shift and change, and you become slightly different. And that's, that's the process, isn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, happiness and unhappiness does that. You always keep faith with something pr- primary before your self formations. It's not to deny self formations or say they don't count. There's something before that. We call it primary mind, you might say. Always cautious about these terms because then we can fix a thing on that as some sort of thing. You know, that we either got to be or have or we have got or this, that. And this means because I've got this, now I'm one of these. You know, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's the bit, you know, just like I was saying this morning, you know, when you get some stillness, you can sense your mind actually rises to an object. As Ajahn Puna Dhamma reminded us that kind of phrase, something lifts up, you go to hearing or touching or seeing or you're quiet and then a th- Oops, it pops up towards thinking. You know, a little worry comes up, isn't it? Lifting into that. And we're always, that, that process is happening. Now, you need kind of, if you can just relax more, slow, you know, not make an issue out even out what arises, stop fighting with the world. You know, this retreat, it's going to be okay, you know, safe enough. So you have to protect yourself and fight with it. You you can just use the time to contemplate what, meet what arises. It rises up, rather than doing numbers all over it. Uh Widening, pause, stop. Weight, you know, can you feel yourself tightening up, getting activated, charged up, agitated, <laughs> proliferating? I can't stand. Why does this have to happen to me? <laughs> and then this always, and then that came after it, didn't it? That came after the event. So though that the person arose after the event that they're fighting with or hanging on to. So the thing happened and then I came after it saying, this should happen to me or I want another one of those or what do you think that meant? Or, you know, that comes after the event, right? So the self arises at the end of the worry. You get the worry, then the self, the worrier arises after the worry. The doubt arises after the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. When you really recognize what, uh, that's how the self it comes into form like that. The end of the incident of arising, the mind rising up, and this kind of thing, this pro- what's called proliferation or papancha in Pali, which means you, you, if something arises and this whole kind of thing starts forming around it, spinning, and it can really spin, as we all know. You know, just tornadoes of spin. You know, hurricanes of spin. Galaxies of spin. <laughs> Full of stars and wonders and bug-eyed monsters and things like that. 
wow, you know, sitting here on my cushion, not just the world, but the universe arises. That's perpuncture or proliferation. Man- is something that was just a thought or a moment of dong becomes five-dimensional. And uh, I was, I am, I will be. How can I get out of this spin? I'm in a spin, you know. Why am I in a spin? I shouldn't be in a spin. After all these years, I shouldn't be spinning. It's like one bit, <laughs> one bit of the spin starts commentating on the spin. And it starts to try to get out of the spin. It's like, you know. <laughs> you know? I don't know if you've seen, uh, like you can imagine, these are rubber bands, elastic bands, and if you, they're really loose and stretchy and you pull one up and you twist it and twirl it, you get these kind of, you can start to knot itself up. You get an elastic band, you pull it out long, and then twirl it around, it can, it can just kind of contract and knot around itself. Have you seen that? Elastic rubber bands, you just pull them out, give it a few twirls, and a little knot starts to appear in it. Yeah. Imagine if that knot said, I'm going to try and untangle this mess. <laughs> you are the mess. You are the mess. <laughs> the knot says, Don't talk to me like that. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's called self-importance. You know, I'm a not an important knot, and <laughs> it's my right to know how to sort out this tangle. Going, yeah, right. How do we begin with this one? <laughs> See, it can't. It can't do it. So, you, but it can create more knots and loops and tangles interesting patterns and so forth. But the sense you just pause and then you may have heard me say this <laughs> soften, loosen. Yeah, you got it? And that thing can slither out. There's, uh, there's some of the similes that Ajahn Puna Dhamma was saying, you know, the the snake, you know is slithering out. It's kind of it's loosening out. And as you lose things, you just kind of keep at that point, pay attention, keep steady awareness, and you can feel because it, all this movement is unsettling, you know. And it seems like sometimes it feels like yourself is breaking up, or you're not capable, or you're feeling uncertain. That's fine, that's good. That wobbly bit, and then just keep attention, don't react to that. It's sort of. Ooh starts to come back. And then, then uh, why we often do need quite a lot of loving, like loving kindness and patience and reassurance and uh, reminders is because as you, come, you come back through all kinds of pieces of personal territory, you know, that the self forms through as it kind of moves out. It comes with something like almost like a birthplace. The feeling of, well, am I okay? You know? Or that the, we, or there's a compulsive place where I've got to do. 
you know. You get these kind of jerks where you, the spin has got particular personal characteristics to it. Can be very impulsive or fearful or doubtful or, um, you know, feeling unwelcomed. It's very common senses. So these are all, let's say, personal karma or personal history. The, the feeling of these territories that we go through. So any one of those you can snag on. You know, you can snag on and then start to proliferate around that. You know, it's not so easy sometimes just to, to really loosen and slip through the whole lot. You know, so sometimes you've got to it's the place where we get snagged, you know, in a kind of psycho, whatever it is, senses, psycho-emotional, psychological senses where there's a snagging because it, it, you know, it carries a lot there. We hook onto that and then the whole story of myself and what I am begins to take birth again on that particular place. You know, somebody lets you down, right? Somebody disappoints you in some way or another. And you come into that place and it's so charged, it carries such a lot, that as soon as you touch into that, you get any sense of that, you know, like somebody doesn't pass the salt at, at the mealtime or something like that. <laughs> little thing like, you know, apparently little thing, and that reminds you of always being left out, ignored or whatever it is, and it touches some raw nerve and the whole thing and it comes out uh, around small, well, apparently small topics like that. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? So, pausing, widening, not trying to fix it, doubting it. Because any of these places, the whole pattern can start again. You know, wherever you snag, then the whole of the Sort of stuff can start up again, like how I can't do this, and you know, or whatever it is. The, your personal voice k- kicks in again in any place that you snag in. So you get different kind of karma, creating more karma, reminding you of who you are, and so forth. You know, this is why it can be quite a, a long but thorough process. You know, triggered by something. As you get triggered by something, feeling, you know, that that gets interpreted as, you know, I really can't do this or whatever it is, you know. And that story starts up again. So we, we come to hear quite a lot of, of these voices, these maras, many form mara. Always, mara always tells you, tries to tell you who you are. to tell you who you are, who you have been, who you will be. It's a little bit to write on your fridge door anything that tells you who you are is a liar. <laughs> it's a Mara. Anything that tells you who you are is a Mara. They can tell you what you look like, they can tell you what you're doing, it can tell you, you know, where, maybe where you are. Anything that tells you who you are 
watch that, be very mindful of that one because that's Mara. That's the snag, that's the snag. Around that place, the proliferation, the papancha demon starts working. You are, you could be, other people think you are, you should be, you were, you will be, you never will be, you ought to be, you might be. Why are you, where are you, why are you this way? You know, after all this time you should be, and after this, all this time you never will be, because all this time you never have been, <laughs> so you never will be, <laughs> and, and so forth. That's, that's, the, that's Mara. You can feel it, you get to feel it and know it, sense what it does. Yeah, so all that. Pause, interesting. Because Mara is to be known, not to be dismissed, but to be known. Let's really get a good photograph of this character. Read out on it. Feels insistent, feels compulsive, feels familiar, feels domineering, takes over. Is this the kind of person you want to have running your life? <laughs> then we can just pause, soften, you know. And there's a, there can be that possibility of returning. So there's quite a lot we can do in our daily lives to cultivate like that. Virtues, parameters, like patience and morality and truthfulness and so forth. You've got something there to have as a theme. And then you can sense how Mara comes in and says, you know, either test you to make you impatient or comments on how little patience you have or you should be or you could be or you're not or you are or you aren't. You know, and then, uh huh. You know, softening, widening, releasing it. So that's a kind of ongoing model. Doesn't mean things shouldn't arise. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be a self or have one of these forms arising. But you've got ways to to manage them, not take them too seriously, not build a too much hope or build a whole life around it, so that there can be that sense of coming back behind this to something really more sacred and restful and unformed. Don't know who it is. Don't know what it is. Don't need to know. It's kind of original mind, we might say. And also to to realize that that process of discernment is is important. Is to see the karma, which is these these actions, these psychological mental actions. They're all mental karma. And you become more familiar with them, and you know how to to uh, understand the arising and the ceasing of that. 
This is one way of describing what the enlightenment, you know, big word, suddenly arises in the <laughs> enlightenment, <laughs> is uh, the first real uh, you know, penetration to that is sometimes humbly expressed as everything arises, passes away. which sounds kind of like, well, that easy, you know, leaves come and go, cars move down the street, um, so forth. But when you're dealing with your own, you know, joys and sorrows and crises and so forth, uh, then it gets a little more testing because it sounds so glib and sometimes sort of seems to trivialize what we're doing. Yeah. Right, things do arise and they do pass. Important things arise and pass. Terrible things arise and pass. Wonderful things arise and pass. That's, that's kind of what they do. And all my wish that the important things didn't pass or the wonderful things didn't pass, they still go ahead and do it. But the... the uh, the stream enterer, which is the first stage, so is actually really you know, sensed fully that, so that they, 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 they've recognized what doesn't arise and pass. So it's not just a state of indifference or despair or existential meaninglessness. <laughs> it's a, you know, there's a sense of things can arise. That's, that's fine. You know. Things will arise. Thoughts will come, sounds will come, sights will come, the mind will rise, and it will pass. So we're not taking a stand on passing or arising, it's just noticing that. Sometimes you need to focus more on the endings of things. Just that sense of what happens when you do loosen and release, and, oh, that big thing sort of fizzled out. you You get some sense of cooling through that. But then if you just focus on that, maybe kind of get reluctant to allow things to arise. You know, what's the point? Or so, but the stream enters someone is just really okay with that process. You can learn with that process. And because there's a, there's a sense of, you know, things, the, the, there's a kind of primary sense from which things arise and pass. So it's okay. Nothing really lost in arising. You haven't lost silence or peace or stability, and it's just something arises. You haven't lost something when it passes, it's just something passing. You know, there's that basic ground, um, refuge, you might say. Now, this isn't the end of the story, actually. True, this is the process of wisdom, and true insight or vipassana is deepening of that into um, you know, that particular process of how self arises, how it ceases itself coming after these phenomena that it seems to be hooked up with, and then the 
you're beginning to also recognize the very grasping tendency or the taking hold of, you might say, grasping sounds so kind of, um, you know, corrupt or, but it's just that sense in which something just feeds upon or mirrors or looks for a place. Even a, so even the primary, you might say this primary mind be, can become another place or another bit that we, that this grasping occurs around, some sense of, oh, there's, that's my true, that's my true nature or my true self is this, my, that's where I really am, you know. <laughs> like that. So that's proliferation again. It starts to occur even around the, the uh, original sense or even the way one handles that because in a moment your mind starts to ah, that's that and it forms a recognition starts to say we have something or we are something or we got something there's no such thing as an enlightened self so you can't be an enlightened person nice to get that one out of the way isn't it So you can stop trying to be an enlightened being. It doesn't mean that there's no um, uh, entry into the deathless, but just that uh, you can't say it, you can't name it. You can't have it. So this primary mind is actually also has some primary ignorance in it. And the, the Buddha, when he was talking on the mindfulness of breathing practices, which I didn't go into in very full detail this time round, I kind of imagine you'd heard many of these uh, teachings before. But this is um, particularly to do with the, the third cluster around the mind which deals with this kind of primary mind. That is, first of all, one is sensitive to it. You begin to sense a knowing, you might say, kind of a knowing quality that can witness, we might say, the witness, witnessing thoughts or feelings. And it's not entangled with them. It can allow them to move. And therefore, the thoughts and feelings start to really thin out altogether. It's because there's not much energy going into them. Energy goes much more into this calming, steadying, stabilizing, witnessing faculty, the knowing, and then um, gladdening it, that is you take more and more sense of joy in that sense of, of stillness, of watchfulness, and steadying it, so it, it kind of becomes uh, very peaceful, and then releasing it. Releasing it is the insight process, um, which is releasing the, you can see that there are uh, particular biases or, or views. Uh, view uh, is, the, is the originator of samsara. Biases, views. What are called these uh, asava, 
whether like views or biases towards being or becoming or having something. Um, is, is the one I've been focusing on primarily. You know, so we have this bhava, we're so in the dependent origination, which we refer to the other night. You have the craving or the, or the, the wish to get, wish to have, then clinging, got it. Got it. And then Bhava is, it's mine. I am this. Yeah. So that's the process in kind of colloquial terms. Want it or don't want it. <laughs> you know. So then I've managed to get it or I've got it or I'm getting rid of it. That moment of contact, you know, like a when you really feel that you've got it. And then kind of around that, uh, like a, like a, Pearl forming around a piece of grit and an oyster. This thing of, this is what I am. You know, this has now been implanted in me. This is mine. You know, Baba. So that that's a view. That's a particular expectation that we've carried through since time immemorial. We've carried that process through. That process has continued through craving. Grasping, becoming. You know, and what we become for a while sort of holds together and it starts to crumble. So that's the process of Jaramarana. You know, birth, then aging, death, crumbling, falling apart, and then boom, cling to you know, something else. <laughs> you know, desire for being means that there's some sort of urge towards another sight, sound, identity, form, occupy, you know, going on. It's very basic. That's the that's the that's why it keeps rising. That's why the mind keeps rising up. You know, that's the that's the called bhava tanha, the craving or the thirst or the hunger to be something. You know, and this isn't bad. You know, it's not wicked. <laughs> There's good things to be. So this is before morality. This is before good and bad. There's many good and wonderful things to be and so forth. Not bad. But it is uh, endless, that's all. And unsatisfactory, that's all. (laughs) 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 And not self, that's all. (laughs) That is, you can't stop doing it. (laughs) You can't, the not can't stop doing it. (laughs) Do you know what that means? You know? What that entails is to actually come out of yourself is the only only real way. And that's sort of confusing, edgy, uncertain, you know, wobbly. It could be joyful, it could be relieving, but it will certainly be, uh, take you into some difficult places, some wobbly places, some places where that wish to hold on comes up fiercely. You know, it's like going into free fall and something and you just clench, clenches, you know. So this is why it uh, is a process that requires a lot of faith, comfort, you know, practice, comforting, reassuring, taking your time, doing a little bit at a time, you know, until you get more familiar, you can trust that process of coming apart. And then something doesn't get destroyed.
like a free fall in itself. So there's no more falling. So whenever you know that tanha or craving or thirst, then clinging, got it, I am, you know, getting this, and then bawa, this is mine, I am this, and then the crumbling of that. So being aware, spreading awareness over the whole process, because this is the only way we're really going to learn. It's kind of, you know, embarrassing sometimes, emotionally unsettling sometimes, psychologically unsatisfying at times, intellectually not very appealing at times. <laughs> and yet you can't learn it except you've got to go through it. Because you've almost got to get that primary mind to get the point. It's not just up in your head that's got to learn it. We've probably, it doesn't take long to really get, get it in your head you know, for maybe a bit of a year or two of study and you've got it in your head. <laughs> but to get that primary mind to really know, you've actually, first of all, you've got to access that, get that and then say, listen up, stupid, it's something you need to learn here. <laughs> you know, like, watch, really watch what happens. You know, so you just, because it, you know, get the point, the point. So that, that the craving, it's not that, that you know, we don't function, but there's the craving for it. There isn't that press pressure in it. So one of the questions that was placed the other night, which I didn't get around to dealing with, was what about karma and action and how do the Buddhas create karma or not? They are going around doing things and seemingly fairly engaged in what they're doing. So, do they have karma or not? And uh, well, depends what you mean. <laughs> so, the, the technical term is something like kriya, which means there's a functional karma. You know, there's something to be done, so they do it. Somebody asks them a question, they reply. Uh, so, you know, it's just like actual. In other words, the the. Um, origin of action is from, comes from the world around as being suffering, therefore say something. There's someone who can listen, therefore give them, give them a teaching. You know? So it's coming from around rather than, hey, I've really got to get out there and do a lot of stuff. You know? I've got to get some world religion going by the, end of, by the next 50 years when I pull the Sangha together. It's kind of thing. <laughs> Which uh, made the Buddha pretty, you know, if he'd seen what was coming. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's like it, it never did get together, it never has got together. The Sangha's always been, uh, you know, a possibility with all sorts of, you know, people missing the point. And even during the time of the Buddha, we were, other monks and I were talking about it at breakfast time, right from the beginning of the Buddha's dispensation, there were monks definitely missing the point, doing all kinds of skullduggery and factionalism and nastiness and tickling each other to death and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, managed to find a way around the rules to 
to do all kinds of numbers on each other. And this is right that the Buddha's still around. You know, the Lord the Enlightened One's still giving these peerless teachings, the great teachers. So that's you know, so it's always been this way, you know. So but the Buddha wasn't kind of, you know, fretting every night and wondering about it and looking at his kind of you know, his laptop or something to plot out <laughs> how to sort people out of this. He just well you you can't get in you know there's a recognition of the call comes from outside you say it you say what you need to say but there isn't some feeling you've got to set it all straight on the cultural social level never has been straight doesn't mean out of compassion you can't make a contribution just take some of that emotional pressure and despair and frustration and out of it all, you know. As we all know, you know, it's just, if, you know, you look at newspapers, it's a terribly, you know, um, fearful and anxious and, you know, disappointing time <laughs> on some levels for human beings. So, you know, you're going to get yourself knotted up about it. Will that, will that help? Does it mean you don't act? Does it mean you do act? What do you do? Well, the you know, it's a sense of of what's called uh, this uh, good karma, this intention to help, keeping the quality of goodness in mind. But for Buddhas, there's no particular um, mission. Really. Strangely enough. So that it's that model, you know, the mind rising to an object, but it doesn't generate this self after it. So for most of us, you know, the movement is a certain sense of, oh, this is going to be okay, and well, I'll try the best I can, and you know, how did I do, and it wasn't so good. You know, it would be nice to not have that happening, just to just go up there and do your thing, and then let it go. That's what Buddhas do. So there isn't the proliferation, the papancha, around, I taught these people all these years and they never listened to me and after all I'm an enlightened being and you know, nobody really gives me the attention I deserve and after all I've done for this mouldy group of monks and they're still bitching and scribbling with each other and I've had enough of this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there isn't all that kind of proliferation of, um, going on. So that's how the, the Buddhists can keep from the overwhelm or the, the inflation. Of, you know, I'm an enlightened being. Look how many disciples I've got. Wonderful, you know. <laughs> Stuff. So that that you know that's that's kind of what we we need to 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 really get that mind exposed to just the process so that it doesn't carry these latent views that there's something to be something to have something to get something to somewhere to go something to coagulate around you know? but it doesn't mean 
bottomless despair of meaninglessness. It's not that kind of thing. There's a sense of uh, freedom. This is why you know the language is always going to be um, have difficulties in it because you say one thing, it can sound nuances of pointless, hopeless, useless annihilation. No, that isn't it. And if you say, well, there's this primary ground, and there we are, I think, then you get the opposite extreme, eternalism, get that, become that, get one of those, have you got it yet? No, that isn't it either. If you've got it, then you've lost it. It's not, it's not that. So Buddha particularly recognized these two tendencies in becoming. There's a tendency of becoming nothing, you know, annihilationism. That's a view. You know, I will disappear, I will become nothing. The world is nothing. It's all pointless. And that's, you know, that's a view. Or that I will become something sublime, you know, whatever. That's a view. And that kind of view, which isn't always verbal, but it's a kind of basic inclination. And we can have, we can be perhaps more dominant in one of these traits or another. Most of us swing around. If good meditation nice peaceful retreat and something kind of lights up a little bit and uh, <laughs> finally becomes something a little bit more solid here. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's all right on the level of selfhood, you know, for some comfort and confidence, but also who, who became anything. And this place of silence still carries these persuasions, these kind of like view, view forms, view senses, and around those energies will, will crystallize to, to firm up things in that particular shape. Once we put for someone who you began to trust the process of like a descent, you might say, from the conceived, the perceived, the imagined, the felt, the sense, the known, the sight, the sound. It's not a aversion to it, it's just there is a, a release and descent from that. You trust that process of what's called letting go. Yeah? Familiar enough term, we trust that sense, even though it can be rocky at times. Just keep, you know, going that way. You get that that fundamental path factor, you might say, the third, the third noble truth. You know, there's this letting go quality, property, and uh, just um, that taste of the deathless. So, you know, Buddha very rarely made much description of these things like deathless and Nibbana path, it's peaceful and you know that's the that's that's the result or that's the end of the practice. But it did say um, deathlessness is the mind's release from all clinging, from all got it. So whenever we get to that got it, then the ability to let go, that is the property of deathlessness. 
that. So it's not a state. It's not some kind of state of being. It's that ability to release from that form of got it, you know, clinging. This is me. This is where I am. It's the ability to, we can do that. I'm sure we've all done it in moments, incrementally, to degrees, and then we drop and then you snatch again. Drop a little bit and then hold on to a more comfortable place where I feel oh, more peaceful and happy here. Okay, so, so, but you, the, so that once you kind of sense that path factor of letting go, and then it's really just more and more faith and focus on that quality itself. It's not to space out or lose awareness, it's a very steady thing. And get the sense of opening, widening, another familiar term. You can feel like that. That is the property. That's called the deathless property. So you don't need a state. You need a kind of, uh, or you're looking for just this releasing. And uh, it takes you through pieces of territory in terms of karma where there'll be another piece where we where there's hooking or old patterns, okay, then this is where you have to stop, pause, check it out in a way. And where is the bit that's really stuck here? Where's the where's the real hook in this particular piece? Is it I don't want to be this way, or I shouldn't be this way, or is it I'm always this way, or is it I should be more this way, or I should sort something out, or I should fix it, or he does this to me, or I do that to her, or where's where's the real hooky bit of that, all that? You you see it's somewhere in there, there's the Mara saying this is who, who you are. Instead, it's not who we are, it's just, it's just a particular hook called upadana, clinging. Clinging is not a person, there isn't anybody who clings. Nobody here clings at all. <laughs> but there is clinging. It's not some kind of permanent feature, it's an action. That's, you know... For a time immemorial, this has been going on. It's a, it's a reflex action. It's not a deliberate decision. Shouldn't anything, anybody gets up in the morning saying, well, let's go and cling today. <laughs> get into that hall and get my hook out and start clinging, grabbing, hold. <laughs> uh, particularly, the, I won't really cling to some miserable stuff today. I've had enough. <laughs> It's, you know, it's just you think, oh, what am I doing this? What am I stuck in this rubbish for day in, day out? I've got to let go, I've got to let go, let go, will you? Let go, stop it, stop doing like this. <laughs> and it doesn't work like that, does it, really? There's nobody who clings, it's nobody's fault. But there is this, you can sense it, ah, you know, Form, clinging, because you feel the sense of forming around that, making a form, getting history around that, solidifying around that, then proliferating more around that, 
and thrashing around in it, struggling within it, trying you know, that's all the bhava thing happening, proliferation. You just get back to the very sense of, of held, holding held. You know, soften, widen, loosen around that. Anyway, take your time because some of this stuff just doesn't unhook that that quickly. Because as you probably you touch it, all sorts of things come up about, well, I should have said sorry after all. Like, you know, I mean, it really wasn't her fault. And I, perhaps I was a bit snappy then. and Maybe I need to get something sorted out about the way I behave towards people. You know, I mean really well, but perhaps it's, why am I like this in the first place? You know, and I think... Sense something out about my, so this kind of blah, 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 goes on about it, which has its own validity in time and place. But why won't we retreat? You know, all the kind of history and the blaming and uh, even all the you know, profile, personal profile, like the Buddha saying, you know, the person is shot with the arrow. You know, you look in the arrow and you say. Well, that arrow, hey, it looks like a... Who do you reckon make that arrow then? Yeah, looks like it's a... Comanche. No, it's Cheyenne. No, it's not. Rubbish. It's a Sioux arrow. No. no, it's not. You know, what about the feathers? Goose quill? No, swan? No, no, no. Where do you think they shot it from? Looks like, is it a long shot, short shot? Why do you think they shot him in the first place? <laughs> what do you think he was doing wrong, you know? Maybe deserved it. I don't know. Shouldn't be walking out on this shooting range. After all, I told him, you know, it's kind of it's all true in a way. But look, get, get the arrow out, will you? <laughs> and then maybe we could start to review the, the the how it got there and why. That's the for meditation. That's that's the that's the bit you do in meditation. The rest of it, it certainly requires attention. You know, the way we live our lives, and we perhaps learn a bit. If you keep walking on firing ranges, you're going to get shot by an arrow, right? So, tread lightly on the world. Tread lightly. (laughs) There's a lot of arrows around. So something we might say is also softening and winding is also about forgiveness, isn't it? You know, forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, so that we're not just hooked in that place and lamenting and grieving and fretting and, you know, maybe you just need to even tell somebody, please forgive me, you know. Or I've done this, I feel I've done this, could you please, you know, listen to this. No, you need to do that. So these, you know, from these points of meditation, then certainly ways you act in the world will emanate, and they're not irrelevant. But all we can teach in terms of this retreat right now is just this point of the arrow and the unhooking, and the rest is up to you to learn and, and integrate into your life, and that's that's wonderful. Great. It's 
are not by any means dismissing the rest of it, but also I can't solve it or fix it. But that's each, each of us as our peace. Yeah. I'm just teaching the point of the arrow and how to, first of all, understand that we're all, we're all shot up pretty bad <laughs> in some ways and to stop attracting arrows and how to let them come out. So when you meditate, you know, sitting, walking, just keep sensing what's behind all this. What's behind it? What is it that seeing happens to, or hearing happens to, or feeling happens to? Where's the ground that lands on, you might say, using a phrase? That, that notice that all that is change, is impermanent, in constant, changing, and that any time you, you focus, become, become more interested in that, say that primary ground. Ah, oh, that's that's the bit that seems to be most, you know, to the point. And then there you can begin to look at the, the you know, relax the sense of being something, being it, even that, or uh, wanting to make something out of it. Wanting to disappear, so there can be a kind of a, a release from that. That can be released from this uh, sort of, you know, these tendencies to to jump up or to retract. Let's have some time for meditation. This evening, if people would like to put some questions in the bowl, practice questions, please, uh, about your practice. (laughs) And uh, then this afternoon, so people wish to, I can, in half an hour or so, doing a little bit of uh, some of these meditative movement and uh, the interviews. Otherwise, the rest of the day is is open for your um, cultivation. There's no particular routines to follow. Yeah, so it's 45 minutes of walking, and then the set of interviews, and then the meal. That's enough already. You're busy already. (laughs) 